says, get that India, big boy. G'day, my name is Forty, also known as Jono. This is the Tip Sheet Preview Podcast. Before we get into any introductions for anyone else and talk about footy... I told you. What did I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Because I told you. Mm-hmm. And when did I tell you? A long time ago. And what did I say will happen when I told you? Exactly what just happened. I think that fairly sums up what we were talking about with State of Origin 60s. How are you doing on this wonderful day? Uh Mate, yeah. Look, as a as a Blues supporter, uh, shattered about the result. Um, but as we were talking about before, the whole process, the whole selection process, was just flawed this season. And New South Wales carried by their star power on an almost individual basis over in Perth. Obviously, they trounced the Queenslanders, but came back to game three. Queensland down their most dangerous threat. In Cameron Munster, he was out due to COVID. Like, you know, this was literally on a silver platter for New South Wales to win. And Freddie's awful team process selections, or team selection processes rather, jeez, what would you know? They came back to bite him on the backside. And look, I, I will give a shout out to Jacob Saifed, he played well. But you look across the team, Stephen Crichton, being awful or serious, didn't deserve to be there over Jack White and even Latron Mitchell. He was shocking again. In fact, the Penrith, like blockade of players in general were awful. I think this was, you know, we talked about Nathan Curry having a, a career-worst or, or representative game in game one. He was very flat this game. Jake Dubovic, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people are going to praise Jake Dubovic for his defensive grip, but when you make like eight carries for 70 metres or whatever it was, no, it was it's worse than that. It's 13, 12, 13 carries. Let me, let me just quickly check here. Let me go across here, 60s. He's been updated for 15 carries for 97 metres. So... Yeah. And what time? Uh, what time on the field? And did he even come off? Honestly, yeah, he did. He did. I think on he, got side. 60, he got sixty-four minutes. Yeah, sixty-four yeah. minutes. So they, you know, he powered out six point three meters a run. Like, yep, uh, or close enough. Maybe I'm, I'm underselling shortly by you know six point three seven or something like that. It just. What uh, was that? What was Junior's stats? Junior, on the flip side, he had 14 carries for 126 metres, uh, three tackle breaks. He uh, got through 21 tackles, missed four, but I will say that I think a few of those missed were the ones where he put on the big hit and the guy bounced backwards and he bounced backwards and then someone else cleaned up without losing any ground. Uh, and yeah. I think the biggest... And how many minutes? And June's was restricted to 44 minutes by comparison. So, yeah. And, and the big thing, I think, for Junior, and look... I'm not going to say he had a flawless game. Certainly that drop in the second half was very out of character for him. That was uh, in a period of madness for New South Wales where we had the uh, Crichton offload. We had Saifidi lose the ball in a bad play the ball. Uh, there was a couple other insane errors too. Blue eye passing out. Oh, my God, the blue eye pass too. Yeah, blue eye playing touch football and trying to <laughs> exploit an overlap from his own 10-metre uh, zone. But the, the, I think the most telling thing for me was with the game there to be won, Freddie Fittler pulled Junior Paula or Junior Bartle. You know, yeah. like the most damaging forward on the field for the Blues, the guy that when in that, ins- I mean, we've got to talk about insanity, that opening 20-minute period was the most brutal we've seen in so long. And Junior was the only New South Wales forward that was making the A-line and falling over it. Yeah. 
So, yeah, you know, and, and and look, both teams had some shocking bad luck early on. I mean, the Blues without Cameron Murray, that was a big loss. Their forward pack, but then on the flip side, you had the Maroons who lost uh, Cobo and who was the other player that got uh, concussed? Uh, it was um, the Roosters. Ah, uh, yes, uh, yeah. uh, Lindsay Collins. Lindsay so, Collins. Yeah, you know, that that was obviously <laughs> far from ideal for both teams, but. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned those Penrith players. I thought that uh, Crichton was awful. Luai and Cleary were bad. Uh, Cor- Abby Coruscant had a good game. I will, I will shout him yeah. out there. Uh, but in the back row, Martin and Yo were ineffective. And then, you know, uh, we, we talked about it, but Talakai, just pick someone that's actually going to have an impact off the bench. Oh, And the poor, the, yeah, the poor man, like, thrown, thrown into the, off the bench in a position that he doesn't usually play. And, geez, it showed. I think what we had with Talakai, and and again, I, I want to come back to what we were saying the other day when I said I didn't want to be having a crack at Saifiti because Saifiti didn't select himself. It was Fittler that selected him. And I said any criticism of his selection shouldn't be one where we are um, having a crack yeah, hundred percent. And and look, you, you you can be critical of Talakai's on-field performance in terms of the mistakes he made, but I apportion a, a huge part of that to Freddie Filler, who did not put, yeah, it, who did not put him in a position to succeed. Yeah, if if we look at Talakai's season, he had a one game where he had a major forty-minute impact on one player in the opposition. Like where he just dominated um, Morgan, Morgan Harper, Harper from Manly and and terrorised him in forty minutes of football, and even in that game the Sharks didn't go back to him in the second half, mm-hmm. and Manly had a bit of a, a bit of a comeback in that game, but on the basis of all it seems it seems like on the basis of that particular game that he's earned Origin selection. Now my take on Fitler's processes in not selecting Regan Campbell-Gillard and and literally trying to go through every other player as an option for selection rather than him, to the point where I joked and I said, well, he'd he'd probably even select Luke Brooks at prop ahead of uh, Reg. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it literally was feeling like that way, that he'd marked his papers never to be selected and it wasn't on certainly wasn't on the basis of form and certainly wasn't on the basis of what he produced in game one it was we we don't know the answer other than he doesn't like him for and some it, reason just, it, the way he's danced around it makes you feel there's something more insidious or nefarious at play whether it's a you know character thing or it's what what's sort of been going around the rugby league media circles and you know intimating that it's something to do with the Penrith connection there and the uh, acrimonious circumstances which he left the club following their internal issues uh, before joining the Parramatta Eels. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, anyway, in, in when he decided that he wasn't going to uh, select Reg, um, and then when he was making these strange selections of of people like Talakai that used, and, 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 and Saifiti, and again, that's not a knock... This isn't a knock on these two players individually. What we're talking about is, uh, like I said, that as far as I was concerned, that in having this sort of process that Fittler was taking away 
the that honor of selection in a representative team like it was you it's all to make a representative team is one of the greatest honors that a, a player can have and to to my way of thinking it's well I, I almost feel like saying that he's cheapened it by playing favorites in it, it's, having unfortunately it's classic new south wales we spoke about it before on this podcast where there, there is a cycle here new coach comes in makes some meritocratic selections team looks good and you know we either win a series or, or challenge a, a queensland dynasty and then slowly and nastily the nepotism or, or favoritism sleep, uh, creeps back in and suddenly the best players in the in the you know these positions are not getting picked and it's well he can't he can't justify um the 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 selections that that he didn't choose to make like the players who scream out to be selected and yes we included Reg in that but what about Jack White and yeah his availability that, that one I mean for, best best on field for the Blues in a game where that was shocking in game one, he nearly carried them the victory, and they chose Stephen Crichton over him. And yeah, just- so what I, I was trying to find a way that I could liken this because Queensland, yeah, they had some changes, but they were forced changes with injury and illness. And you just get the sense that Queensland treat their players like family. Yeah, de- definitely. And it, Feels like the, this New South Wales team this year, it's been a click. Yep, I think that's a fair way to put it. And I mean, I was joking with some mates after the game, you know, because after game one, we heard little bits and pieces about how in the post game review they sort of highlighted some efforts from Ryan Madison and Reagan Campbell Gillard as, you know, why we lost the game because of their efforts around the ruck and whatnot. And I was like, well, who's going to be the scapegoat for this game? Because they can't go back on review and find those two players to, to criticize. So. I don't know. There's some media darlings in this New South Wales team too that'll probably escape the justified uh, sort of nitpicking that should be there. But geez, very, very poor performance from the Blues. Very. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I still want to say it it was a cracker of a game to watch because <clears throat> Queensland was so undermanned, and just the ferocity that they brought to the yep. game. Yep. Was made it. I mean, we uh, this is uh, this is made for promotional material sort of stuff. We had a full on biff between Burton and Gagai. We had uh, all the big hits. So you know, outside of glorifying any hits that cause the concussions, which you don't want to see happen, um, this is going to be a, a game that's going to be cut up and used for promo material for Origin for years to come. Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. And and look, I I I don't mind it when you see two players go toe to toe, but. I am going to have to call out that that one moment because Big Tino holding on yeah, to Matt Burton and then letting Gagai get two or three clean strikes in. Without, oh. it, it's if you're going to, I don't know if that was his intent or if he was trying to separate them. But if you're going to separate them, get in between them. You know, yeah, like yeah. don't don't hold the guy on the opposition team that's getting clobbered. Like, geez. Yeah, if you if you were looking at a a sin bin from that incident. Number one, bottom of the list is Burton because he's the one getting clobbered and in and got, in trying to hit off the, stop hit off the ball, getting clobbered, gets uh, wrapped up by another guy, so he gets cheap, like you know, he gets free hits onto the face, like yeah. Oh. And, uh, and the and the player 
that I would put top of the list for that would be Tino yeah. because he's third man in. And the thing is, with Origin, I know I know we don't glorify it too much anymore, but it's almost like ice hockey. If two guys are going to throw down, you, you sort of let them settle it. You know, but like you said, third man in, and not just third man in, but third man in almost arresting the, the opposition player, letting him get attacked. And it was in that process that Gagai landed the big blow that got the shiner on Burton's cheek. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I... And it was it was probably one of those moments where if the referee had have taken what would be the logical process, he's putting either one Queenslander in the bin or two Queenslanders one blue. Or two Queenslanders in the bin. Like I and I think I I, I cannot justify Burton going on the bin, into the bin for trying to defend himself. Like I just, I just can't. I mean, you can you can imagine what's he supposed to be like a punching bag and let himself be a punching bag to avoid going into the bin. And I even wonder what the what would have happened if he had have just covered up like in, into a ball, Probably sort of thing, covering his face. NRL because you you can't have uh, in that situation you can't have one team disadvantage over the other. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think. I think he would have just ended up in the bin. They would have found a reason to put him in the bin anyway, and you would have just had a, a scenario where um, yeah, it's one in one in from each team, and there. So he may as well have thrown a few to defend himself because he was probably going to head that way anyway. But um, yeah, uh, again, uh, congratulations to Queensland it's because I down think as a story they, for them. Yeah, they made they really made that match what it was because they were such the, the the massive underdogs and they bought they brought that level of intensity to the game the mm-hmm. the likes of which we haven't seen for some time yep. in origin football that absolutely made it a cracker yeah. and as far as the New South Wales is concerned whilst I'm I'm not going to target the efforts of the players out there because only they can imagine what it's like to be out there in the cauldron of origin football especially up in Queensland where everything's against them but you know I, I like you I come back to the selection processes of of Fittler um, I, I wasn't crazy about his interchange uh, use of the interchange no, either the and we touched yeah. on that mm-hmm. uh, but he he's really in omitting certain players, uh, especially you know, arguably best on field from game one that he's omitted, even though he was available for selection. You just think to yourself, he's turned it into a click this year, and as I said, Queensland's treated their players like a family. What, what, what really so. surprised me too is given how we, we talked about the club connection and they've won the premiership, the, the reigning premiers, but I was surprised at how much the Penrith players went belly up in a game where there was a bit of adversary. Uh, adversity, sorry. Uh, yeah, like I said, I just going through that list, barely any of them clocked in what you'd consider a good performance. So, I mean... They're, they're, I think you, you've got to talk about their... What Penrith and Penrith are an exceptional club team. We 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 cannot step away from that. But in their matches, they aren't facing an opposition team who is all out intensity all the way through. 
So they were put under pressure as individuals in a feeling. way that they never face yeah. ever. Yep. So I think I think that's why we saw some of the you'd have to say almost panicked plays. Yeah. Big time. Because they, they didn't have whereas they always seem to have an answer because they're not they're not facing an opposition like that. So uh, they they always seem to have an answer and play I mean, Cleary's an exceptional halfback at 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 club level, and he's and he's done well at Origin up till uh, probably this series. And he and game two, he he had a really good game. But I, I come back to what I said after game two: Queensland were damn ordinary in game two. Yeah. They just really were. Yeah. And uh, what was the phrase that you said about the about the result and the um, and against the process that? It was that, unfortunately, the yeah, the, uh, the, well, it was along the lines of the Blues netted like a, a very good result from an awful process. Like that's they, it, they yeah. didn't they, what they got on the field wasn't representative or necessarily worthy of how I approached it, and that, that's yeah. how sports works and, and life works. Sometimes you can be an idiot and get rewarded, and vice versa. You can you know do good stuff and not get rewarded. But for the Blues in game two, what? You know what sort of fell their way went completely the other way in game three. They 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 back they doubled down on their stupid processes in terms of selection and you know we have no idea about preparation so I'm not going to judge the Blues there, but Queensland stuck true to their convictions and their processes and and went out and picked form players and and put them in positions to succeed and lo and behold, the Blues went you know belly over Queensland dug their heels in and won like I said a storied victory. This is going to go down as uh, you know. Not not quite 1980 or uh, some of those other incredible Queensland victories they've had over the you know three de- three and a bit decades of origin, but one of their best. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, I'm going to put my I'm going to put my hand up because I was trying to negate my, well my suggestion of negating the process was that um, I didn't want to see changes to the lineup from game two because I you know, I'm I was just against all this chopping and changing. I wanted the players to feel like they were a group um that was there. Um but that was without knowing that Jack Whiten was yeah. well, Freddie, uh, was Freddie now Ryan. available yeah, exactly. and that he, exactly. and that he that he could come in at the very worst on the bench. And then if you have a, a player like Crichton who's having a, a, a really bad game out there that you've got that opportunity to bring um, uh, Jack Whiten into the team and you know, who knows what happens if he's out there because he's, he's probably not throwing a pass like uh, Crichton did in that moment oh. he, he's probably not getting owned by his opposition um, and 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 it also then would have meant that that Talakai would have missed out, but I didn't. I wouldn't have had a problem with that because I wouldn't have selected him in the first place. in game two either. But again, this is the difficult process of once Fitler went down that path of making the changes that he did in game two. Um, I would have been advocating that he chopped and changed again. I didn't agree with his process in game two, as you say. He doubled down because he, uh, when he had the opportunity to bring in. Uh, players that should have been brought in that were there in game one and he had the opportunity via injury. Um, he didn't, i.e. Reg, 
with that and and Jack Whiten. Um, so I guess I'm being critical of myself for saying, look, I wouldn't want changes uh, I mean, to the, the game the too, is... just to keep stability and sense of the group and the family and what have you. But as soon as he went down that path and just ignored Reg for game three and brought in Saifidi, um, he he threw that out the window anyway. So The difference is uh, that New South Wales Rugby League are paying you and me a combined $0 for it, our it, armchair criticism, whereas you know the New South Wales Coaching Brains Trust headline by Freddie are on far more than that. And it's literally their job. So when they get these things badly wrong, it, it really stands out. And yeah, I, but I, I'm prepared. I'm I'm prepared to own a sense of well, not hypocrisy about what I said, because as you know, I was just so against the changes that were being made, and and I am one that is, um, you know, at that level, at representative level, you've earned your jersey. Don't keep chopping and changing the team because the result didn't go that way. You have a look at what happens out on the field, and there were things that could be remedied from that game one loss, which and you know, know, and I, you know and because I, because of the process they did, that that win in Perth completely glossed over those issues, and they reared correct. their heads again in game three. Correct. It, that he could have named an unchanged lineup apart from any injury issues from game one, and they would have done exactly what happened in game two. They would have got the same result because the Queenslanders were were outplayed, just comprehensively outplayed in game two. I don't know who that Queensland team was that turned up in game two, but what we know is it was a, there was a chasm between the intensity that they showed in game two and what they put on in game three. And, yeah. and what yeah. we know is that... That was a Queensland in Queensland yeah. in a decider effort. Big game for Kalen Ponga. That was by far his best performance at state of origin level, and he's been long overdue. Uh, Would you, you know, say it's his best performance you've ever seen? Close to. Very close to. He's had some real flashy club performances back when he was a bit younger, uh, but in terms of just the stage, the you know the grit that he showed to back up for all those tough line breaks and whatnot, I thought he was sensational. Um, going through their playmakers. And you can see this is what the difference is. Ben Hunt had a big game. The rookie, Tom Dearden, had an excellent game. Off the bench, Harry Grant was also very good. For the Blues on the flip side, we already mentioned the Penrith boys, but I think only Teddy really stood out as having a, a strong performance. He went for nearly 300 and was busy all night. I thought uh, Coruscant was good, but off the bench, Damian Cook, once again, just complete lack of direction. So that that's another issue for the Blues. They, what looked like having one of the best spines in a long time all of a sudden has lost its way a bit, so... Yeah, uh, I mean, we talk about the process. It's going to be very interesting to see where the Blues go next year. Um, oh, those two. But you mentioned the, you mentioned Teddy and you mentioned Ponga. That was two of the best fullback games I've seen. Yeah, in an origin, I, I can't, I can't in, knock in James one Nesco. origin match like where the, where both fullbacks were just at another level. And you mentioned Ponga. Yeah, that the grit that he showed, like he, to me, it just looked like he played. Uh, not, not only did he have the the flashes in that game, but the grit that he showed. Yeah, in and that, there that's was... been a knock on Cowan, hasn't it? Is that he yeah. is a flashy player and it will give you those big highlight reel, right to left cutout passes and the big steps. But when the going gets tough, he tends to you know not get going. And geez, uh, I wouldn't say he's you know put all those critics, uh, you know put him put him out to rot outside, but. 
that's certainly a, a big step forwards for him. And, you know, Newcastle obviously will be wanting to see more of that from him because, geez, it's a reminder of how talented he was uh, when he is committed like that. Yeah, yeah. It was I, – I'm struggling to think of too many better performances. I mean, you could argue that Wally Lewis at origin level was turning on games like that on a regular basis. I mean, such as his legend. Um and, and it was the case. I used to watch him and think, how is he doing this? <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anything special about him, but he's he's tearing New South Wales to pieces in this game. Uh, little uh, um, disclaimer there, however, not when Brett Kenny was yeah, out there. Was I'll, a, just say, yeah. I'll just say I was, that. I was going to make sure you brought that up. But, um, yeah, Brett <laughs> yeah. had some legendary matchups, obviously, against the King. Yeah, credit to Callum Ponga, credit to the Queenslanders. They get the trophy back or the shield. But I don't know what it is, the state of origin these days. That's how much I've been paying attention. I think it's a shield. And yeah, yeah and it, like I said, going to go down in the annals of their history is one of their better series wins. And for New South Wales, a lot of soul searching to do. And uh, thankfully for the Parramatta Reels, that's the last of representative football impacting their games. And we can actually talk about some Parramatta football 60s. Yeah, so uh, we've got three grades to talk about. Three grades... Three venues, three different days. Yeah, and uh, in all sorts of weird chronological order because, you know, we start with the Jersey flag. That's actually in the middle slot this week, going out to Kellyville Park. It's a home game for the Parramatta Reels. It'll be at Saturday, 1.15pm, hosting the Cronulla Sharks, who I think are fourth coming into this competition week in the Jersey flag. Let me have a quick gander, make sure I click the right buttons. So if we go to Jersey Flag, Sharks are indeed in fourth. They're three wins and a draw ahead of the Parramatta Reels. So a bit of a golf there. Uh, was that? Uh, we got we got them at the start but of we, the year. That, that, we did get them at the start of the year. We actually went to Shark Park. Uh, what is is actually what, what's their home game? I, I don't even know. We went to Shark Park, as it used to be called, and uh, actually put in a pretty good performance. I think it was uh, 22-12 or 22-10. It was a, a very solid win for the Parramatta Reels. But the Eels coming to this round, sitting just outside the eighth, uh, top eight, then ninth, trailing the Manly Seagulls and the Canberra Raiders, who are one win ahead of them. Uh, four and against, actually not too bad for the Eels in relation to those two teams. So a win here would go a long way towards jumping back into the top eight. But looking at the Parramatta Eels lineup for this game, 60s at fullback, we've got Corey Fenning. On the wings, it's Mawala, Graham Taufa, and Matthew Komalafi. So a bit of a change there with MGT coming in for AMS after Miller Stephen. Lockie Blackburn and Jabril Kalach are the centres. In the halves, we've got Josh Chapel and Ethan Sanders. Peter Tatio and Larry Moagatutia are the front rowers. Cruz Natelli-Schmidt is the dummy half. In the back row, we've got Ryan Jones, Cruz's brother, Felix Natelli-Schmidt, and at lock forward, Brock Parker. On the interchange, Jacob Davis. Good to see him getting a bit of an extended run in the jersey flag as the dummy half utility. Jack Colavati, Nikau Rafal, and Saxon Pryke round out the interchange with the three forwards. Nicholas Lenars is the 18th man. And I'm just looking at that Sharks team. Usually there's a couple of surnames you might recognize in there. And I can't really... I mean, I know there's been a Pickering playing in a role a little bit recently. Uh, Rodwell, I can't imagine it's a relation to Kai, but he's on the wing. Uh, Kane Ball. Yeah, but they're obviously, the, you know, I say there's not many names that jump out there, but Sharks sitting inside the top four, we know they're going to be a good uh, opposition to take on. I mean, the Eels took on the... the West Tigers last week, and they were top five. And where does that win actually put them? So the Tigers still sit in fifth place. And they certainly didn't embarrass themselves. They fell one converted try short. So this is just a case, 60s. I feel like we've been saying it ad nauseum. But if they can just get into the you know the grind and be competitive, they'll be very close to getting the win. It seems that every week there's some missed opportunities 
that are there for the team. <clears throat> and we've seen what happens when the team clicks, that they are capable of putting away some good teams. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, just achieving that consistency is uh, a challenge. Now, the other week, watched uh, went up and watched them at uh, their last game at Kellyville where they took on the, the bottom of the table, South, South Sydney, Sydney mm -hmm. in atrocious conditions, which is a, a great leveller. And uh, the first half was, uh, you know, if, if anything, South were uh, possibly the better team on the field. And then it was just a matter of adjusting at halftime, getting the, the work through the forwards, winning the middle, and then the feeling that the result was going to come their way. That was exactly as it, as it turned out. It, 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 that was how the second half was played. Uh, they put on a great platform. The forwards, Big Larry was the player's player from that match. Some of his carries, he was near unstoppable. Uh, we are looking at um, uh, Tony Mattaielli and Samuel Loizu, who, who played in that game, both being up in New South Wales Cup this week. Um, and uh, you know, Tony seems like he's coming to hand pretty quickly after being out for a significant period of time from uh, pre-season injury, pre-season training and injury. It's so, one of those things that makes you wonder what could have been if he'd started the season healthy. He obviously would have been in the cup far earlier and then, you know, really starting to build a case for 2023. So, I mean, there's still plenty of time for him to do exactly that. But for the flag, it, it's very simple. You know, hold on to the ball, uh, you know, allow your team to build the shapes they need to to put pressure on the opposition and you might you might not win because the Sharks are a good team but you're going to be highly competitive and we know this team has the ability to put points on when they're holding on to the football. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that one So now we 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 go from that on a Saturday to the New South Wales Cup on Sunday at Henson Park. Yeah, one of the old stomping grounds. Henson Park is a, a you know, we, we talk about the eighth wonder of the world at Leichhardt, but I suppose we're going to give that billing to that uh, to Leichhardt. This might as well be the ninth wonder of the world. Henson Park, one of the uh, more boutique, uh, not not park football, but reserve-grade venues, home of the Jets, who are affiliated with the Cronulla Sharks. This one kicks off 1 o'clock p.m. It was originally slated for 3 o'clock, I think, 60s, and I think they've changed it to 1 o'clock p.m. So if you were planning to attend, just be aware that it's being moved forwards by two hours on Sunday. I don't think this one is covered on any of the... Uh, uh, channels, whether it's uh, Foxtel KO or New South Wales Rugby League TV. But it's uh, 5v2. The Newtown Jets or the Cronulla Sharks uh, as they're affiliated there. Uh, one and a half wins ahead of the Parramatta Eels. So they've got a nice little buffer, but a win here for Parramatta would bring them within just that half a game because of that draw that the Jets have. Uh, looking for, at the Eels, a couple of changes this week as they sort of accommodate uh, NRL call-ups and whatnot. Hayes Perham is named at fullback. Samuel Louise, who you already mentioned, he's on one wing. He'll be partnering, uh, I think, Zach Sini in the centres because Louisa will play on the left. Tom Opachik will partner Sean Russell on the right. In the halves, you've got Jack Williams and Jordan Rankin, captain and coach. Front row, Ofahiki Ogden, Wiramu Gregg. They're the bookends. Mitch Rain, dummy half. Back row, Ellie Elsgeham. Bryce Cartwright, who was back from what I believe was a one-game suspension. And Nathan Brown, lock forward. On the bench, it's Brendan Hands, the super utility. Tavita Talmapenu, the young bull. And speaking of young bulls, joining him is Tony Mattielli 
And then Jaden Yates is the sort of back row dummy half utility there. So a couple of ins there with Bryce Cartwright, Nathan Brown, and Tom Opacic all being named to play, but that could still change given some of the stuff happening in first grade. Yeah, and some um, familiar names in this. Yeah, and then we go we go across to the Jets, and you can see why they're doing fairly well. They are missing a couple of players this week. Um, I think there's no Trindle, who's been one of their sort of driving forces, no Frank from Pele. He's a big unit in the pack, and Moani Horati, who's a good outside back for this grade. But uh, looking at the big names there, Lockie Miller, he's been uh, somewhat successful as a rugby sevens player, I think, 60s. But Matt Had Nichols, a great debut for the show. Yeah, against, so. yeah, and he also played well against Parramatta when they met earlier this year. Matt Ikevalu, we know he's a pretty good first grade. He scored a whole ton of tries for the Roosters before making the jump this year. There's a Jensen Talma. No, it's, a, it's not spelled quite the same. Different spelling, yeah, yeah. Just slightly different. But uh, going across, we've got a... I mean, he's a former real for a father, but Cade Dykes, he's obviously Cronulla through and through there, so he's in the halves. Reese Davies, former Parramatta Reels yep. reserve grader. Uh, keep going down. We've got another familial connection. Uh, it's a shame that Jabril stuck in the flag for this game, but Kane Kalach, who I believe is Jabril's brother, he's playing in the back row. Uh, we've yep. got uh, Billy Magoyas, who, of course, had that famous kick against Parramatta in the reserve grade grand final a few years back where there was an offside chase that wasn't caught for a game-winning try. And then on the bench, uh, Shabel Tassapali, who a player we both have a big soft spot for, fantastic young man, and uh, certainly wishing him the best in his first grade uh, sort of push or journey. And have I missed anyone else there? Um, no, I think I, I think that's that's pretty that's, much it. So they, they're, they're missing a couple, and there is a Kyle Iro who I when, sorry Iro. Whenever I see Iro, I always think of Tony. So I'm not sure if there's a connection there. But, there's, oh, you know, there's. I'm sure there's a familial link somewhere. But Somewhere. yeah, the uh, the Jets, one of the better teams in this competition. They got the Eels in a high-scoring game uh, when it was back back early in the season when it was raining a fair bit. So this will be a chance for them to rectify that ledger and at least bring it even. That um, was a bit of a to-and-fro sort was. of game and, and some crazy errors from kickoffs from yes. what I can remember. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, certainly not one for the uh, coaches' tape archives for how you're going to teach players <laughs> to, to you know do the right uh, things. But yeah, this is this is a very interesting one because a win here puts the you know they're they're sitting in fifth. They're looking from you know inside the top four, just outside what ugh, they're outside the top four on four and against the Canterbury by twenty points. So a big win obviously becomes a factor there, but just a win uh, puts them right into the hunt. Because uh, you've got Canterbury twenty two points, Raiders twenty three points, Jets twenty five, and Panthers twenty six. If the Eels also on twenty two, so the, the, you know any win by any margin is huge. Oh, but you know, the crazy thing about this is um, they obviously uh, were determined to give the Jets a due home game because the Sharks are playing away. To Parramatta in this grade, this game was really back in early uh, sorry, season, in, the, in the first grade that they're they're away to Parramatta in the NRL, so, and this this game would normally be yeah. the curtain raiser. And again, what's... you've got you've got the the feeder teams for both clubs playing each other, so it's not like they're it, it's not like Parramatta has suddenly got to play uh, Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles or North Sydney or someone not connected with the Sharks. It's their feeder team, but they when, must be when they met the earlier in the game. season. I think it was a Cronulla Sharks or Newtown Jets home game that was swapped because of the uh, I say inclement, but more like torrential weather. Uh, so obviously that this has uh, just been a rescheduling in terms of that they they swapped venues for those two encounters since they played the home and away double. 
Yeah, so. and then we end up with the situation where Friday night should be a curtain raiser. Contact, uh, there is no curtain raiser. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately between the weather and then just how volatile it feels like the New South Wales Cup draw is. Uh, it feels like there's always something being rescheduled. What should have been a, a really cool doubleheader at Friday night is now just the uh, single affair. Oh, I, and for the life of me, I, I can't see then why if they were, if the the home game, which remains in the flag, couldn't have been played as the curtain raiser on the Friday True. night. I, I mean, it's no no it, arguments uh, me there. Yeah, and it's it, it just feels like you know with obviously you got cup and flag and then NRLW when it's on there should always be a, a, like a main event doubleheader. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we've got um, a, a, we talked about the familiar faces in the Jets team, but we also have to look at the Eels team, and and we go well. Uh, the entire back line except for Jack A. Williams has played first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at the um, at the pack and you go, it's only Eliel Zakim that hasn't played first grade that's in the starting pack. And he's no chump change either. So no. it, it was in good shape here. They had a nice win over Western Suburbs. I got that one right. It was the Magpies in the Cup last week uh, where they you know sort of had the battle a bit but then pulled away really solidly. Uh, and looking at this team, there could still be some late changes because the way it works of scheduling this week uh, with NRL playing first on Friday, like you mentioned, 60s, and this being on Sunday, uh, anyone that isn't utilised heavily off the bench in NRL could certainly back up into this game potentially. And if that happens, you're likely to see a reshuffle probably in the back line. Uh, but the, uh, it just feels like, once again, uh, I look at that Sharks team or Jets team, I know they're good, but... The Parramatta team, if they're just doing their thing, if they're just getting into the grind and they're and they're sort of getting through their sets, it feels like they are almost favourites in almost any matchup. Yeah, you you do have to look at that and go the the depth that the Eels certainly from the from the perspective of being able to have a highly competitive, um, if not title challenging New South Wales Cup side, it's it's there. Like you can see it just from the on paper it looks that way. Now there of course cup games being as they are, it doesn't always fall that way. You can end up with late changes, you could end up with the players for just as the NRL team will have from time to time, they aren't performing as they should. And and the week before, you had the Eels get out of jail against South, where they were down 14-0 at one stage and uh, came back to win. It was the final score, 16-14? 16-14, I believe, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they they were able – I think they, they posted a penalty goal before half time to make it 14-2 at half time, and then two converted tries in the second half from memory. So – um, yeah, and then as you said, they they had a little bit of a period of struggle against the uh, the West West Magpies who were sitting down near the bottom of the table. But when you looked at the players that West Magpies were able to uh, put out on the field last week, you would have expected them to be competitive. Yeah. So exactly. they they really they shouldn't be sitting that that particular team 
shouldn't be sitting down near the bottom of the table. There's no reason why that that particular team should be below a team like the Mounties on on the no, table, yeah. just purely <laughs> on paper. No, sir. Purely on paper. No, so uh, anyway, that's uh, I, I'm expecting just to double back um, the flag. I'm not sure what to expect in terms of the result, but if they if they play to potential, they can replicate the win that they did in the in the uh, I think it was round two against uh, round against two the Sharks. And in this in this grade, this could be a very very significant game if there, the Eels can get the victory. Minor implications, absolutely. So this is a chance, uh, one that they missed against Canterbury going back a few weeks, but. They can rectify that now and climb back into the top four and really steal a march on and even the top two here. So plenty to play for out at Henson Park, 1 o'clock p.m. Knock on wood, I'm out there to cover this one. I don't mind going out to Henson Park, even if it is a, a big AFL cricket-type field. Uh, well, more so we're looking at we're looking at uh, coverage of some sort at Kellyville on Saturday. At the very least, I'll get out there and, and do my... Poor impersonation of forty twenty. Well, I think you're selling yourself a fair bit short there, mate. Given your, uh, uh, you know, circumstances and the the mechanics behind what you're using you're on the phone, and I'm on the laptop, you're doing a pretty good job of those updates. I know I, for one, have been very grateful for the games I can't attend, been able to catch your coverage of it. But likewise, I'll be out there hopefully at Henson Park on Sunday, so we should have a battery of games to be covered, which will be very, very good for fans and ourselves alike. Oh, and just before we go on, can I, I make mention of the the coverage that was there for uh, the the Eels game against West Tigers uh, that, that was provided on Foxtel, which which was good that they were able to provide that coverage in the the split round uh, last week. And there was the the scenes in the dressing room where Craig Brennan was <laughs> was, was addressing the players and. And and Mark Carroll was talking about how he confused him for BA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's going to be a classic. Are, I think are all the coaches is... starting to look like BA? You know, like uh, so. That's uh, yeah, evolution look, of the coach. There you go. Yeah, Brent, Brett. Brett is a a great uh, a, a great uh, friend of uh, the Cumberland Throw through his uh, years in the junior pathway mm-hmm. system, and uh, we've got a lot of respect. For Craig Brennan as a as a coach, he does a, a terrific job. He was uh, assistant coach for Fleg this year, and he's been as they as they indicated when Jordan Rankin took on the captain coach role that there would be support through Absolutely. the pathways coaches. So, and you got to um, you got to think that the uh, the Spud comment is going to be the genesis of a great internal joke for the club about uh, <laughs> every coach looking like Brad. So that's uh, definitely definitely a, a good one. Let's move on to the main event. And chronologically, it's the first game this week taking place tomorrow. We're back at home finally. First of a three-leg homestand at Combank Stadium. This is a massive run of games to the Parramatta Reels. And it starts with the New Zealand Warriors coming into town off their uh, return back home, actually. So looking at their team, 60s at fullback, it's Reese Walsh. They've got Marcelo Montoya and Edward Cozzi on the wings. Jesse Arthur's that play they've got on loan from Brisbane. He's one of the centres. Adam Pompey, the other Chanel Harris-Tavita is the 5'8". Sean Johnson, halfback. In the front row, Adam Fenella blake and Tohu Harris, the props. Wade Egan is the dummy half. Ewan Aiken, Josh Curran, they're on the edges. Jazz Tavanga is the lock forward. On the bench, Freddie Lussick, their mid-season, uh, mid not mid-week acquisition. 
He's going to be their dummy half utility. Bunty Afoa, Aaron Penne, and Jack Murchie. They're the uh, rest of the interchange forwards. Extend the roster. Eliasai Katoa, Rocco Berry, Dejan Arce, Pride Peterson Rabadi, and Jackson Frey. Got to say, uh, I mean, it's a pretty reasonable Warriors outfit, but I'm really surprised to see Katoa on the out of air. He was so good uh, in that sort of rookie year, and he seems to have been uh, trending downwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you you did mention it's a pretty solid lineup there for um, the Warriors. Uh, the the pack in particular, um, Fanua Blake and, and Tohu Harris, um, experienced tough forwards. Uh, Ewan Aitken, I always had a lot of time for him when he was at the Dragons, and I and I think that move into the forwards has been a good one for yes, him. Yes, it has. Josh, Josh Curran has been their standout player for probably at least the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, former former Eels uh, Pathways player. And uh, and you've got the, a utility like uh, Jazz Tabunga who can jump into dummy half when needed, but he's obviously going to be playing a, a dedicated lock role because Freddie Lussick is on the bench. Yes, yeah, so... Tavanga also, good um, and you, then you have got Bunty Afoa coming off the bench. Now he he's he's almost like a fooey fooey type of uh, yeah. Afoa Afoa was a pretty handy little player there. One of those one of those guys I wouldn't mind seeing outside the Warriors system maybe, uh, but he, he gives him a bit of uh, energy off the bench. Uh, definitely one of their better, well rounded uh, rosters in twenty twenty two. I think most notably Reese Walsh. He had the week off. Uh, he's back this week at fullback. Obviously a big inclusion for them, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those one of those interesting ones. They've got some good forwards there. They've got some good backs. You know, arguably probably the the weakness for the team. Uh, I wouldn't. Would you say the spine? Wade Egan's a decent dummy half. Uh, I think Sean Johnson isn't at the peak of his form right now. Chanel Harris Tavita is an absolute battler and and you know quite literally a warrior as well as being a warrior in the jersey. But uh, Walsh is probably their their only real class member of the spine right at the moment. I think what they have is the and look, I, I I quite like Wade Egan as a dummy half as well. Um, Sean Johnson feels like the light of better days now in in how his form's going. But someone like him, you just have that suspicion that every so often he might be able to pull out. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah. You, I you, I say that game. with you know, I quite firmly knowing that. He still has a capacity for a big game in him. You know, it just yes. he isn't the athletic dynamo he used to be. I think at the Sharks they had him playing a more disciplined style, which helped him, uh, you know, mature his game. But at the Warriors, he's gotten a little bit looser this year. But that's not to say he can't win a game still. Yeah, and I, I think as ill supporters who might be down a little bit in confidence, our natural thing might be to look at a, an opponent and and try to find dangers that are there in in the opposition and and maybe think oh we have to be you know careful of this and careful of that and oh look out here and look out there and oh geez they're you know a bit stronger than i thought that i think the reality is that the when you line up the two sides that Parramatta should be able to win it comfortably playing at their best most focused um intense football what we've come to expect, however, is that such a team, such a Parramatta team, turns up every so often. And mm-hmm. we don't take any opposition for granted. 
Absolutely. Uh, we can't we can't afford to as as supporters we don't take any opposition for granted. As a team, Parramatta uh, can't afford to take any opposition for granted because if we keep going down this path of letting teams get a jump by being the first point scorers in a match and we're having to battle from behind, what we what we in fact do is we give them a psychological sniff within the yeah, game. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned how these two teams line up on paper. Let's look at the other side of the spreadsheet, the blue and gold one. At fullback, it's Quinton Gufferson on the wings, Mike Acevo and Bailey Simonson. Mike are obviously partnering Wonga Blake on the left, Will Penasini with Bailey on the right. In the halves, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses, so an unchanged backline for the Eels. No surprises there. In the front row, we've got a big Reagan Campbell-Gillard. He is named to partner Junior Barlow, but I suppose there is a big asterisk next to Junior right now, given that it is uh, you know, within 48 hours of state of origin. If he is playing tomorrow night, it's going to be on some sort of restricted capacity uh, but I would not be surprised to see him fall out of the lineup and the team take you know care of their uh, you know premier prop forward right there. In which case we've got some guys in the extended roster that will come to the calculations. But right now he is named to play. They're on either shoulder of Reed Miney in the back row. It's Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i, and moving from front row to back row this week is Murata Niakore. He's the lock forward on the bench. Makahesi Makatoa, Jake Arthur, Oregon Kafusi, and Kai Rodwell. So. Three uh, forwards that we're used to there in the last few weeks, if not a month, in Maka, Oggy, and Kai. Jake replacing Tom Opachik in a capacity which I dare say will be fairly similar, getting limited minutes in a close game. If it is a blowout, probably see him go onto the field to give someone a rest like Mitchell Moses or Dylan Brown. Uh, but otherwise, I'm not expecting Jake to play a huge role, which is why I sort of tipped it earlier with that New South Wales Cup preview that he might come back in the calculations on Sunday. Extend the roster, though. Tom Opachik, Ellie Elsgehem, Nathan Brown, Offerhe Ogden, and Hayes Perham. So I'm looking at those names there, and I, I look at guys like Brown and maybe Ogden as guys that could come into the calculations if Junior is not good to go. Yeah, I, I'm I'm probably thinking that Nathan Brown... That, I mean, that, that is the, the most common sense change. You, you, know, you can either start him at prop or start, you know, if you want Murata or Macca or Oggy, one of those guys can go into the middle start. And then you don't say, I mean, obviously you're losing a lot because Junior is literally one of the best props, if not the best prop in the game. But these guys will do a very solid job. Yeah, and uh, just having a look at the match officials, we've got Todd Smith. So Todd, we've got to do the time for. And on the flanks, you've got Casey Badger and Darian Ferno. Chris Butler is the senior review official. So we might get some loose calls in the bunker. <laughs> but then again, then again, it doesn't make a difference who's in the office. It feels like there's always some head scratches. Yeah, yeah. I I, I have got no pattern of um, working out. There, there's nothing there that gives me um, the confidence to say this particular bunker official or that particular bunker official will mm. make good calls or, or consistent calls. Um, I guess it, it is what it is. It's um, uh, and, and, you know, like I've got a lot of time for Todd as an up and coming referee. I, I really, really have. I, I think, I think he, um, he referees a good game. I think the roosters pushed him to the limits when he was in control of our game against the, the roosters and, and he made a few mistakes there, but you know what? I think when it comes to young referees coming through, he's one that I think has the has the potential to be 
the top referee in the game. I think that's fair. So I'll go on. I'll go on record from uh, from you know as someone who can be critical of referee, and I don't think I'm over the top critical of referees in any way, shape, or form. It's a tough job that they do. It's and I've said many times before. Any and there and there is criticism of referees. Our our own Shelley had a had a big crack this week in her from the stands. Um, we we will have a crack in our our post uh, our post match um, instant reactions, but oh, as someone that went through the the Greek Hartley era um, with uh, how he controlled Parramatta, and and I shouldn't single him out because he was he wasn't on his own. Some of the the refereeing of, of years gone by. We should be getting down on our hands and knees <laughs> and praising not, the Lord not that wrong. we have not wrong, that yeah. we have the standard of referees that we do these days. And 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 people might laugh at me saying that when when we're blowing up about certain decisions or what have you. But I can tell you right now that when there, there when there wasn't the TV coverage that we have these days, the the referees of yesterday, I, I doubt that they would. Survive. I mean, obviously, they weren't full time referees, and they didn't get the preparation that goes into it. Same with the footballers, and maybe just like you'd say, the footballers of yesteryear would they compete with the footballers of today? Certainly, physically, probably wouldn't. Um, Skill wise, uh, but how you know might arguable that they that they would. But if they were if they were footballers nowadays, with all the training, they'd probably be different body shapes and. And what have you, and and they probably could match it, and maybe you can say the same about the officials of yesteryear. That if they were full time, that if they were under all that scrutiny, that they do just as well as as referees of uh, today. I doubt it, because the other thing is too, some of those referees were ancient. Yeah, the ones that were out on the field, and like I, I'm not just saying it. Like they they were really maybe I'm just was looking at them through through young eyes back then. But my memory is that well, you could have some really old referees running Abs- around. Absolutely, based on the footage I've seen, guys. I mean, like you said, so the the referees' age matches up far better to the players' age these days, and they're quite athletic. Like they're very fit and would be you yes. know, pretty pretty good at sports in their own right, uh, which is something that's probably lost on a lot of fans because you don't really consider it. But uh, getting back to Todd, I don't know where TCT and he fall on the old fury of six degrees of separation, but. If anyone does know him by way of our listeners, it'd be nice to reach out and tell him he's doing a good job and just keep doing what he's doing. Like, you know, the his means of coin games has been very refreshing, by and large. Well so. I think I think uh, I heard somewhere along the, around the traps that Gutho knows him outside of football and that or maybe the connection is through football over on the northern beaches or mm-hmm. or whatever, but there's probably one of our listeners there that might know Gutho and um, and you know, maybe we can get a message to him that where that he actually does have people out there who rate him highly. Well, because it's like um, it's like the players, right? When you do a good job, you deserve to be praised. And yeah. you know, same thing with the referees. We you know call them out for their mistakes in a tough job, but likewise, guys like Todd Smith who are setting a good standard for what I feel as a fan, setting a good standard for the game, should be celebrated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, so um, we're. We should uh, probably um, have a few express a few ideas about how this is going to play out. I'd, I'd like to think that uh, again we get back to Para Football One Hundred and One, and there's a whole lot of ill supporters who have different opinions about 
um, what is our best form of football. But for me, it comes back to some of the basics. If they do those basics well, um, the, the forwards doing what they need to do through the middle, winning the middle, um, get the foot, get their defence on the back foot, then opens up the second phase play, which opens up opportunities for for teams out wide, uh, for players out wide. Um, don't go the expansive until we've earned the right to be expansive. Kick to the corners, complete the sets. It's all basic. Football. Yeah, it is. It is. And and if anything, it's like the reverse lightning and thunder principle, where usually lightning strikes and you hear the thunder. For the eels, it's about bringing the thunder through the middle so you can bring the lightning on the edges. You know, hammer yeah, up the guts, and then you can go fast down the edges. Yeah, and and when you look at our team, you've got a limited. I mean, we we probably don't have an X X factor player um, like a Cameron Munster or or like a uh, Joseph Manu, uh, one of these players who seem to consistently be able to pull. Uh, out amazing big. plays. Um, however, when you when you look at it, um, Mitch Moses can provide those moments. Dylan Brown can provide those moments. Junior Paolo can provide those moments. And then you've got the the players who can do such a terrific job off that. So you know the 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 likes of Ice, mm-hmm. who can you know when he's hitting those. Uh, lines that he runs just on the edge, uh, running off uh, a Mitch Moses pass or off some second phase football. You know the damage that that he can do. So we've got the we've got we've got enough strike out there, even though we mightn't have um, you know that that big X factor player like you know Sean Johnson in his younger days. He was one of those X factors, wasn't he? That yes, could absolutely. He, he could he could grab a game by the scuff, scruff of the neck at a uh, in in the when it got down to the championship minutes. He he'd be the is like the player in junior football that you throw the ball to them and say make something happen. It, 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 almost like Jared Hayne was mm-hmm. for us, where you know he can just he could create something out of nothing, or or when you needed a big play. Um, trouble was, say with Jared, the people expected him to be putting on the big play in every single match that he took part in. And when that didn't happen, then it was questioning, well, is is he worth the money? Is he the, the player that we need? Well, you know, I think everyone would love to have a player like that in there. Oh, You've I, just got yeah, to also have, you've I, got to have the team around them. Yeah, that, the and team that's the thing, them. is that we now have the framework for it, but we just, obviously we've got some outstanding players, but we just haven't got that consistent game breaker. But that's, you know. That that's how the salary cap works, doesn't it? You know, you need to yeah. be developing these kids that can turn into it. And that's not to say that Dylan, you know, down the road cannot be that guy. But right now, we haven't got, uh, you know, that sort of player. So it becomes a, yeah. a team effort, and that's got yeah. to be the the focus for the Eels. And that's how they won those big games earlier this year. Is you know the yeah. combined arms approach. Yeah, and and as we said, just those all those basics the the kicks to the corners the higher completion rate the 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 forwards doing what they need to do before you start to get too expansive it's um you know uh, i i've had people send me messages about how boring it is to watch Parramatta. and i and I, my what i say is we're boring when we're when it's bad para that turns up yeah when it when it's good para that turns up and they win the middle and they show just the sort of football and the sort of tries and exciting tries that they can score, 
Um, but yeah, you have to be able to play game. We, we played tough, and we, we we you know got for our sets, which then allowed us to light it up when we needed it to, and we scored some incredible team tries. Yeah, and and then you also have uh, games like they had uh, against the Panthers, where it is an absolute slugfest, and hanging in there and hanging in there, and and you get a couple of opportunities to put tries on the board, and you and and you score it, but. That you know those sorts of games, they're not going to be flashy games, and I don't know whether people expect to see flashy games all the time. But I, I want to see winning games, and that's what and, we're talking about. However, it comes about that's, the West Tigers. That's all the West Tigers win was that the Eels perhaps had gotten away from the fundamentals and playing tough, and had gotten caught up in winning flashy. And you got to remember that winning ugly, uh, even for me, you know, it's not necessarily always winning ugly, but you know, being tough and, and getting through these things is fine. It's not bad. For yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into uh, some predictions, mate. I'm going to um, suggest that uh, the Eels are going to win with a score line in the vicinity of uh, 38 points to 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to suggest that uh, the man of the match is uh, or the best on field is going to be ice after such a news, big news this week around uh, what's happening around the ice situation. Mm-hmm. Um, first try scorer, he he should have had a try last week. I'm going to say Will Penasini. Yeah, okay, that's a nice one. Um, yeah, the boys on the um, the Para podcast, they do the other weekly podcast. We've both tipped big wins for Parramatta. Uh, I think in the vicinity of like 42-something sort of bracket. I was slightly more circumspect, falling in line a few. I think I went low 30s to 8 or 10, so I'll, I'll keep it in that sort of vicinity, 32-10 for the Eels. First try scorer. Um, first try scorer. Maybe I'll go with a, like an obvious candidate like Mike Acevo. We talked about him in that West Tigers breakdown. He's, he's finishing those tries really nicely. Nearly had an incredible double against Wests. Uh, I think he'll, he'll touch down first against the Warriors. Best on field. And he is, and he is back at Combank Stadium. He's where one he's of his favourite favorite haunts. Exactly. He is an absolute machine out of his home turf. Uh, for, he does love that crowd chanting his yeah, name. He does will, love it. That's it. And then best on field, Ice is a great shout. I think he's been so unflappable for you know the entire year, given that he was looking elsewhere, and, and given that this you know sort of developing story is happening, I think he'll be looking to just double down on the good football. Uh, I will look at instead. Um, whew, geez, who's going to be a star? I mean, you can always look to the spine and say you know what the one six seven and nine need to have a big game, but uh, maybe it's going to be a big day for Wanga Blake. He'll get Mike Asifa over for his first try, and maybe. Turn that into a little something, something more. Okay, not a not a bad call because he's, if anything, he's maintained his intensity. Yeah, he, he's and his, and his intent all year. He's been low key, very solid, and you know, there's been other guys earning all the plaudits, but I think Wanga, since making that return from the knee, uh, from his knee injury, uh, has been quite good. Yeah, very much so. There we go. So. Parramatta Eels, 7.55pm kickoff out at Parramatta Stadium. You can catch myself in 60s in the post-game live from Jack's Bar and Grill. So if you want to say hello, make sure to pop out there. It is going to be a late show, though, isn't it, 60s? That 8 o'clock kickoff means that um, once everything's set up, it's probably going to be running into the wee hours of the night. 
Yeah, I, I, I think we're probably going to be on closer to 10.30 than um, than uh, any other time. So we yeah, give us about half an hour after full time. We'll be on there. We've got uh, Neville Glover joining us for the um, legend take on the match. And, uh, of course, he'll be there to meet anyone that wants to say good day, have an autograph, uh, get a photo, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, and, and Jack's Bar and Grill, a great venue to have a bit of a feed, a drink, and uh, a good chat about what's just transpired in the match. And obviously hoping for a blue and gold victory, getting them back. I mean, I say back, they're not far outside the top four now. Results uh, haven't been too unkind on them. They're just one win back from the Cronulla Sharks and the Melbourne Storm. With that Melbourne slide, maybe just going one more week and all of a sudden the Eels are back in business. So plenty to play for this week. New Zealand Warriors, uh, certainly no pushovers. I know they're lower down the ladder than they'd like to be, but they've been playing some very solid football and uh, they've been certainly re-energised by that return home uh, against, was it the West Tigers? I think it was against the West Tigers where they absolutely put the cleaners for them. So yeah, going to hopefully knock them over and then take care of some Cronulla Sharks in the lower grades. And then we'll catch you guys in the uh, post-game show. Yep, go you eels.